Hi, and welcome to XX Will Travel. I'm Inez Bellina. And I'm Kathy Pokerbeck. And today we have a very special guest. Uh, Kristen Brendel is here to speak with us about anxiety, <laughs> fear, <laughs> mindfulness, post-vacation blues, and all sorts of other, how can we put it, like mental health blocks or obstacles we may have well it started this is actually the wrap-up of our how to plan a trip series and we have all these handy tips about how to buy a plane ticket how to find a place to stay but we felt that we left out one of the most significant and less discussed part (laughs) about trip planning which is how to handle it when you get home and you're not on your fun vacation anymore yes Kristen Rendell received her PhD in social work from Loyola University, Chicago, and is a licensed clinical social worker. She works as an assistant professor of social work at Aurora University and also owns and operates Per La Vida Wellness, a company dedicated to mindfulness-based clinical interventions for holistic health and wellness. At Pearl La Vida Wellness, Kristen takes groups abroad on mindfulness retreats to Thailand and Costa Rica, facilitates mindfulness-based stress reduction classes to small groups, and organizes and facilitates workshops for schools, corporations, nonprofit agencies, and hospitals. And Kristen's favorite pastime is traveling with her husband and teenage daughter and going on hikes to local forest preserves. So we're in very good hands. Yes. <laughs> Welcome, Kristen. Thank you so much for having me. As Kathy mentioned, we wanted to talk about post-vacation blues. And then as we were discussing it, we realized that there are actually a lot of other issues surrounding travel that can cause people a lot of stress. So we figured that we'd start off with a few of those before delving deep into into the sadness that comes with uh, the end of a vacation. With the end of a trip, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, this is definitely a topic that's near and dear to my own heart because I love traveling. And through kind of through the experience of traveling um, internationally over the last 20 years, you know, you come to pick up on the, your own patterns of preparation for travel or lack thereof, right? What your sort of like the, what your travel persona is like while you're um, traveling, you know, either near or far. And then kind of those post-vacation blues that uh, many of us encounter um, as we, you know, make our way back to our, you know, day-to-day lives. And sometimes that post-vacation blues can start, unfortunately, while we are still traveling, you know, almost like the Sunday night blues of, you know, kind of morning the weekend and then kind of getting back into your routine. So people start often to sort of have those Sunday night jitters before the work week has even began. That's very common. And oftentimes the feelings are much more significant when you're on vacation because you're sort of living the dream, you know, during that period of time. Oh, yes. (laughs) I think it's a great topic. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, not awesome when we feel it, but we, we, we need all right. the tools and tips we can get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in terms of tips, really the kind of the first thing that, you know, one of my first suggestions is for us to kind of realize what our patterns are, you know, so that way we can kind of recognize them before they even start. So for example, if kind of your last couple of days on vacation, if you begin to start to think about the next week or getting back and all of the things that you have to do 
when you get back home, you know, including getting back to work and maybe the pile of emails or stack of, of snail mail that awaits you. Do you know that you are more likely to do this? Kind of recognizing that really even before you um, have left for vacation can be really helpful. Because mm-hmm. oftentimes it's just sort of the triggers that we experience while we're on vacation and then kind of those last few days that are saying, oh boy, now I got to kind of get back to real life. Recognizing what those triggers are ahead of time can be real helpful in preventing kind of those coming back home blues before we've even arrived back home. So, so that's one tip that I suggest is kind of know thyself, you know, know what you typically do, know your patterns and know about when you start to experience kind of those symptoms of loss and, you know, wishing that you lived permanently on vacation and and things like that. Another suggestion in terms of prevention is, again, if you have some experience traveling, you probably know how much work that you have to do when you get back, like about what you're going to be encountering when you get back, Um, whether that be with housework or your day-to-day work or taking the kids um, here and there and just kind of jumping right back into life is to kind of let in letting like your post preparing for your post vacation self pre-vacation. So for example, one thing that we started doing in my family, oh gosh, I would probably say about 15 years ago, we started cleaning the house before we left for vacation. Yes, I love doing this. Yes. (laughs) It is like it is like the best gift to your future self, you know, to your post-vacation self and you, that you could possibly give is having your house clean and in order. So when you get back home, you don't have to worry about that. You can snuggle right back in your comfortable bed with the clean sheets and your bathroom's already clean and the kitchen is clean. So yeah. that's definitely one thing mm-hmm. um, that I recommend is, you know, get your house clean and in order. And in terms of work, you know, as you're preparing uh, to leave, and oftentimes we say we, we need a vacation from vacation when we mm-hmm. get back because of the amount of work and stress that we often encounter, is again for that pre-vacation self to kind of have a little, like a pile of, of organized things on your desk or kind of whatever your work environment looks like, and maybe a list of those things that you know that you need to do right away. And those few things, those priorities that you need to tackle when you get back. And that way you kind of literally have it setting in its place and you don't have to worry about it while you're on vacation because you know all right these are the three things that I know that I'm going to need to do when I get back and of course those all those other things that kind of that you have to find a place for and, and find time for so as much planning as you can do before vacation will really help with some of those tasks and stress stressors related to when we get back that's you know usually very helpful So those are a couple of tips. Yes, I clean my house and I clean off my desk before I go. Some, some, most of the time it works until I get to work and I'm like, oh, my desk is clean, but I still have stuff to do. (laughs) We we still have this job. (laughs) There's no, there's no swim up bar at the office. No. (laughs) There's not at mine either. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I could totally appreciate that. I'm going to have to try it because I, I'm the person that thinks, oh, future Inez will clean the house. Vacation Inez has already started like days before I even travel. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And then probably the future Inez then is upset at past Inez for making those choices for her yeah. for later on. Future Inez so. is bad at past Inez constantly. 
Whereas I almost missed a flight to Turkey because I was doing dishes. <laughs> oh no! So kind of the you guys have kind of the opposite dynamic going on. So maybe past Kathy needs to chill out a little bit. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, take it easy. And the other thing too is the more time that you give yourself to prepare for a trip, the better. So um, another tip that I suggest is. I start packing, and this may seem obsessive, but it really isn't. I literally start packing for big trips about two months in advance. Whoa. And I have like this little corner in my bedroom. And in that corner goes like all of those things that I remember to buy at the store. So like motion sickness pills or um, Tylenol PM or, you know, trial size minis and things like that that go, um, that just sort of make this pile. And then that way, when it is time to actually amalgamate all of my travel essentials, I, there's all, all those things that are already done and I don't have to think about that. Yeah. And of course, there's there's a last minute laundry that needs to be done. But sometimes living in Chicago here, if we're getting ready to go to a tropical vacation, I could easily put my swimsuit in that pile, not have to worry about that here in Chicago, you know? Mm. So there are little things that we can do to make it easier on ourselves as well. I have a really good friend who keeps a travel list in her suitcase. So she has in that suitcase all like her packing list, her supply list of all the things that she typically brings for herself, whoever her, uh, whoever, whatever family member she's traveling with. So her husband or her kids. And that way she doesn't have to think about that list constantly and those little things that we often forget, which are the last minute toothbrushes, for example, because we usually use our toothbrush right before we get off onto the plane for gosh knows how many hours. So those are all excellent tips. I am I am also pro creating a packing pile, not two months in advance. That is impressive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just when I start to think about it, like, oh okay, I'm at Target, I might as well pick this up now and and that way I'm not rushing to remember to buy things at the last minute. Yeah, yeah. and I also have like a little makeup bag that has all my my trial size, like all my travel size products, travel size toothpaste, travel size shampoo, stuff like that. So I'm not scrambling at the last minute to get them. Absolutely. And you can have like, if you aren't, if you don't check in a bag, then you can have like your trial trial size. So you have your little, you know, your four ounce baggie with your, with those small things. And again, those aren't things that you use every day when they're in the trial size pack. So those are things that you can have and not have to think about when you're preparing for a trip. In terms of post-vacation booze, I mean, some things we know are going to cause stress, as we mentioned, you know, like the house being a mess and work. But then there's kind of the more existential sadness that seeps in, (laughs) where you just don't find your regular life exciting, or you yourself feel that you're a boring person in your real life, and an amazing one, you know, when you travel. We call it the vacation self versus the real self, or vacation self is like you at your best and you know your real self is you with all your issues and problems so (laughs) and the great news is that we are all that one person Mm -hmm. Uh, we just have a different way in 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 terms of context and expressing ourselves i was in thailand last summer and the summer before that and we had um, an opportunity for a a ethical elephant encounter and it was the, this elephant sanctuary in Phuket, this beautiful, beautiful elephant park. 
and we had an opportunity to swim and bathe with elephants. And Vacation Christie <laughs> was all about bathing with elephants. When, and this is like a small pond that they're in. So, you know, elephants do their business in small pond. For some reason, Vacation Christie was okay with being, you know, in the small pond with elephants doing their business. <laughs> Chicago Christie you know, has to have a tissue in order to, uh, you know, open a door at the university. So I'm not catching a cold, for example, um, with all the college students everywhere. So there's definitely, we tend to lower, you know, our our resistance comes Mm -hmm. down quite a bit for things, but we are all that one person. So if we're more mindful of, you know, the way that we act and the way that we behave day to day, we can begin to incorporate more of our vacation self in, you know, directly with our day-to-day life, which can be really helpful with um, some of those post-vacation blues as well. What techniques do you have to become more mindful about it? Oh, boy, okay. Well, <laughs> um, how much time do we have here? Yeah. <laughs> like the Cliff Notes version. <laughs> okay. Let me just define mindfulness, first mm-hmm. of all. As John Kabat-Zinn, who is sort of the... Oh, proprietor of mindfulness as it has been interpreted as it been interpreted here in the West is moment to moment non-judgmental awareness. And when we are on vacation, we I mean we that is the perfect opportunities for us to be mindful, especially if it is a vacation destination that we're not real familiar with. You know, like if you go to the same place, stay at the same condo or, you know, have a place in Florida for example and you go there each year, um, you'll have less opportunities to be mindful because everything is familiar. But when you go to a new destination, you know, the weather is new, the, 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 the foliage, the, the people, perhaps the language, the food, the roadways, the vehicles, I mean, everything, depending on uh, where you're going, uh, everything is new. And generally, we're more likely to be taking things in and to be less judgmental. It's not necessarily our culture or our state or city, you know, what have you. So we're more likely to be, you know, observers of our own experiences and less judgmental. When we move into our normal day-to-day lives, we also find ourselves back into patterns and our, our environment provides cues for us that it gives us opportunities to be more mindful, but also tend to be where we fall into our old habits of thinking and being. So for example, Chicago traffic, for example, driving in Chicago traffic, probably as soon as you hit a certain point on the expressway, you're already like in the mindset of, all right, you know, I, people are, you know, driving crazy, they're driving too slow or in downtown traffic or what have you. We tend to kind of fall into our normal routines of how we think and how we feel about um, the traffic. But if we then begin to, if we begin to kind of look inside and see what's going on internally and consciously become more aware of our five senses, for example, what we're thinking of, what we're feeling, and we begin to purposely become non-judgmental about our environment, then we're able to kind of really settle into more of what is reality and what is really there as opposed to what's happening next or uh, what our judgments are about our environment. 
if that makes sense. So speaking of being in new environments, some people can feel nervous, scared, or awkward even when it's a relaxing setting. And is there anything you can recommend to get more comfortable in your new surroundings? Yes. Okay. So kind of going back to what I was saying a little bit earlier about understanding what our patterns are. So if we kind of know that we are anxious travelers or that it takes us a couple days to settle into something, having that knowledge and being very aware of where we're at, of what's coming up, of what our judgments are, that will be very helpful in the process. So for example, I travel frequently without my family for work, going to different conferences, and I do um, these retreats that you had mentioned Mm -hmm. um, during the introduction. And it literally takes me about two days before I stop being sad that I'm away from my daughter, for example. And I, I'm not, I don't show it, you know, no, that no one, my students, um, when I travel with students at the university or I'll go on retreats, nobody sees it because I'm able to kind of contain it pretty well. And I apply mindfulness and know that this is just sort of what happens when I travel. And I also know that there is a time when I begin to kind of settle in. So there's some good things about that. When you kind of understand and know where you are at with things, if you know that it's going to take a little bit of time to kind of get adjusted, then you can have that expectation as you're planning your travel, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. You can adjust your routine. You can adjust your, your excursions of the things that you're doing on vacation in order to help, you know, to help be much more aware of that, which usually would be mean being a little bit more busy because if someone is really anxious the first couple of days, you know, they're basically have their fight or flight systems that are activated and it takes a little bit of time for them to calm down. So if they're able to have different kinds of activities that they feel safe doing and also are aware of this is sort of my normal pattern that will help to alleviate the the situation Mm -hmm. and bring things down quite a bit. So for some people, that really nerve-wracking setting is the inside of an airplane. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, so aerophobia. Yes. Yeah. So do you have any uh, suggestions for people who really deal with a fear of flying? Yes. Okay. So first, unless this is something that becomes clinical, meaning that it's someone who has to travel for work and, you know, finds that to be debilitating on a weekly or bi-weekly basis, it's usually not anything that you need to get professional help with. Mm -hmm. This is one of those things that where the sort of the product is much more important than the process. As long as they're getting on that plane and going on vacation, that's all that really matters. And by doing so, that helps to reinforce in the mind and in the body that air travel is not dangerous. And the thing, though, with air travel, too, is that people who experience a lot of anxiety with flying, they know intellectually that flying isn't dangerous. And they, they know that, they've told themselves that, they probably have done an enormous amount of research, you know, in terms of statistics and finding the safe flights and the, you know, the airlines that have um, the highest safety record. Mm-hmm. So they know intellectually. But it's in terms of the feeling, like they can't, the the feeling state doesn't match the intellectual state. And so as long as they just get on that plane and they just do it, that helps to reinforce the fact that they're okay, you know, and that flying isn't dangerous. Mm -hmm. 
So there's that one piece. Another thing too is there are there's some more tangible things that someone can do when they're feeling really anxious about flying. And one would be breathing um, and engaging in deep breathing techniques, such as you know taking a, a nice long inhale through the nose and filling up the lungs, filling up the chest, filling up the diaphragm, and holding the breath, and then slowly through the mouth, exhaling. Sorry. <laughs> and repeating for a few times. And what that does, especially the exhale, emphasis on the exhale, is that it triggers the brain and body to relax. Because if we're in a fight or flight state, no pun intended, <laughs> we are, our minds and our bodies, our heart rate starts beating faster, our blood pressure increases. And so we are in you know, a state of um, high alert, and we're ready for things to go wrong. We're not we have an at the, the frontal lobe, which is responsible for judgment and reasoning and motivation, has shut down. And we are focusing and functioning from the center of the brain, the amygdala of the brain, which is that fight or flight system. And so deep breathing helps to deactivate the amygdala and reactivate the frontal lobe because mm-hmm. we can't be in fight or flight in a state of relaxation at the same time. In other words, we can't be having a, a high or increased heart rate and, and increased respirations while we are deep breathing. Does that make sense? Yeah, mm-hmm. perfect sense. So yeah. that is something that we can, something that we can do, you know, to help, you know, get us into more of a relaxed state, especially as the time of the trip nears. Yeah. A lot of times people have anxiety related to trips that they have, thinking that they're kind of being selfish and that by them going away, they're going to be punished somehow by traveling. And so then they think, oh, no, you know, what, what's, am I so selfish, you know, about traveling? Something bad's going to happen. It's going to be my punishment. And it's all, it's completely irrational. And that line of thinking, even if they still know that that is irrational, gets reinforced because the brain and the body tend to, well, we have a negative, it has a negativity bias. So things that are negative tend to stick um, a little bit more than things that are positive. And when we're in that state of mind, it becomes a snowball effect. Mm-hmm. So, oh, wow. And then all of a sudden they become hyper alert. Oh, what's that on the news about air travel? Or, oh, what happened? There was some kind of political coup in um, the con- you know, two countries next to where we're traveling. And, you know, it just begins to snowball and get a bit of, you know, get out of control. So deep breathing really kind of helps to move from that fight or flight reaction to, you know, much more, you know, uh, calm, to a much more state of calmness and um, clear thinking. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of providing comfort, <laughs> um, <laughs> segue, <Yeah. laughs> right. travel buddies and partners can provide comfort, but also they can be a major source of conflicts or headaches. Do you have any advice on how to avoid these conflicts or how to how to patch things up after a spat? As a matter of fact, I do. Excellent. (laughs) Do tell. Yes. So right, like having a travel companion can be like the best thing ever on a trip. You you have a shared experience with someone. Traveling alone um, can be amazing as well, but having someone that. You care about someone who has um, similar goals for travel is is such a wonderful it's a wonderful opportunity. But like anything else, when you are when you're traveling with companions, whether that be a friend or even a, a family member, people have their own 
agendas and own ways of dealing with things, especially if you happen to be that chill, relaxed, laid back person and you have that anxious person that you're traveling with, there can be a little bit of, you know, some differences in terms of how you're handling things. So what I recommend, again, is about pre-trip planning. Mm -hmm. And that is to already anticipate that there are going to be problems. And I wouldn't put it that way, like to my travel companion, but anticipate that things can come up and we can disagree on things that we want to do or at a pace or even how much time someone is spending in the bathroom or who's getting up first or walking around in the middle of the night and loud or what have you to kind of already have those discussions before you travel and say, okay, how, how do you travel? What is your, what's your routine like in terms of the light being on or late at night or early in the morning? What, what are some of the things that you want to do while we're traveling? And the big question too is if we find that we are disagreeing on something, what would be the best way for us to resolve this? So you have that conversation pre-trip, you know, while you're in the stages of planning. And then in the event that um, a disagreement occurs or there are some annoyances, it gets um, handled right away as opposed to, you know, waiting until, waiting until basically you erupt like a volcano. If you have that conversation and really good communication, you should be avoiding a lot of those issues that you have that you may encounter with um, a travel buddy. And, and I find it's really different depending on who you're traveling with, especially because I've traveled with really close friends and it's much easier to bring stuff up to them. Yes. But then you travel with people like maybe they're not so close friends. It's your first time traveling together, which is a lot more difficult because you just can't read each other as well. That's correct. And it makes that pre-travel conversation much more important. Exactly. Yeah, and it might seem awkward and may seem like may seem like you are doing too much planning to be able to bring it up and like, oh, I just want to be spontaneous. No, you you have a lot of time and money invested in this trip. Having a you know ten or fifteen minute conversation about expectations and what um, you know what's going to happen in the event that you have some disagreements can save. I mean, it can save a whole trip. I've known many people who have you know, had such a hard time traveling with someone that they've left early or that it's ruined um, friendships because we can really be at our best on vacation. We can also be at our worst on vacation. (laughs) It's so true. And just how you're, we mentioned vacation self and and daily life self. You don't know someone's vacation self until you have traveled with them. That is correct because you're with them day, you're with them moment by moment, you know, and and all the in-between. So if you work with someone and you're traveling with them, you know, their sort of their work self, their work persona, you know, but you probably may not have ever slept in the same room with them right. or shared a bathroom with them or see how slow they may walk or how right. fast they walk when you're doing tours and things like that. And everything gets amplified by spending so much time with that person. Yeah. There's no it escape. Does. <laughs> it does. And especially if our expectations don't match what the possibilities are too, you know, right. so... If our expectations is to have a real high-paced, fast traveling and seeing a lot of different cities, a lot of different sites, but you're with someone who is really chill and laid back, well, you're probably not, those expectations are not going to be met. Right. So having those conversations while you're planning the trip is really important. Especially just from personal experience, if they're super big issues, like 
One that comes to mind is I traveled with a person with addiction issues and we were traveling to, we were traveling to Peru and, you know, things are available in Peru that are, you know, you're less likely to encounter. Well, you, I guess if you go looking for stuff, like I'm talking about, I'm like, what are you talking about? No, no, no. I'm from Peru, which is why I'm just like, I'm very interested in the story. But it was actually Inez when you told me about the tourists in Peru who go there for the cocaine. Oh, yeah. Well, what's really funny because I'm from Peru and I've never once been offered cocaine. Not once. Not like ever in my life. My ex and his brother went to Peru at some point to visit me. We were at a bar, a very local bar. They go into the bathroom and a guy immediately offers to sell them cocaine because they obviously stood out as tourists and as, you know, Americans or whatever. Some sort of foreign entity that might have money and might be willing to do this. And that's something that like as a local... I would have, if I wanted cocaine, I would have probably had to like seek it out somehow. But, but yeah. But so like if I travel with a friend with addiction issues and I hear this story from Inez. Right. <laughs> that was a really yeah. hard conversation to have. But at the same time, I'm really glad I did because I know for a lot of recovering addicts too, it's important to have a routine in place. Like they live yeah. very routine lives and that travel is not that. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Some of the group travel that I've done, participants have asked me if I know that there are 12 steps, 12 step meetings available that are different travel sites as well. So that's definitely such a great point is, mm-hmm. um, but you might not know that about someone. Right. Yeah. Like this person, and, this person was very open about her issues, like talked about it all the time, which is it was still an uncomfortable conversation, but it wasn't just an out of the blue, like, you look like you might be a recovering addict. <laughs> and, and I'd like to have this conversation with you. Yeah. And, and here's the other thing, too, is that those awkward conversations are rapport bonding. Mm-hmm. You know, so you really, it really gives you an opportunity to bond and create a, uh, you know, more solid rapport with your travel companion as well. Yeah. I have a bit of an unorthodox story about that. It's actually a friend's story. She and a friend of mine took a road trip together, like a one-month-long road trip together. And they're both very stubborn people, and they tend to get along very well. But when they fight, they would usually do the thing where, like, you know, they wouldn't speak to each other for weeks before one of them finally, like, relented or gave up. So before this trip, they actually sat down and said, okay, because we're relying on each other, we can't just freeze each other out if something goes down. So they flipped a coin, and whoever lost that coin was in charge of apologizing for any argument that might come up. (laughs) And I know that sounds a little, not necessarily the healthiest thing. They were also like teenagers. They were 18 years old, but in a weird way it worked because simply no like the fact that the person who was forced to apologize would do it right away actually uh, motivated the uh, my other friend to apologize as well instead of just dragging it out forever yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome yeah found what works for them yeah, yeah. <laughs> sort of to be an example for others yeah. yeah and sometimes people don't know they're being dicks right like <laughs> i i went on a trip with a friend who was going for work so she got business class everything and i was back in coach and i was fine with that because i got to stay at her fancy hotel 
But she, that's all she would talk about. That's, it was her first time flying business class, and she was so focused on it where she'd be like, oh, I can't wait in this line. I'm going to go wait in the business class line. And she, oh, would, she wouldn't even stand in line with me. <laughs> and we had plenty of time. It's not like she was going to miss her flight if she didn't get, or like, I'm going to go to the lounge for a couple hours, see you later kind of thing. And, oh boy. Yeah. and it came to a head. It was like the final leg of the trip. We were at the airport going home. We had had such a nice trip. And she said it was the same thing where they were checking passports. And she, it wasn't an incredibly long line. It was at the gate where they recheck your passport. So we weren't in customs. And she said, well, I'm going to go in the business class line. And I finally lost it and was like, you can't even stand in line with me for 10 minutes. And she, yeah. w- she was like, Oh, <laughs> like, and and I had to come from the perspective that, like, it is exciting to fly business class and, you know, and it is a privilege and there's lots of cool stuff. So we had a talk and I said, I said, we've had a really nice vacation together and we're good friends and it would suck to end either the vacation or the friendship like this. And I'm sorry, like I sucked it up and apologized. And it was the same thing to your point, Inez, where she was like, no, I'm sorry too, because I've kind of been a dick about this. So (laughs) apologies open doors. (laughs) (laughs) They really do. And save friendships. Yeah, (laughs) That's a, you know, a really salient point is if you've messed up, apologize. Keep, keep your ego in check during the entire course of traveling, especially when uh, you're traveling with someone else. Yeah, yeah. for sure. What it boils down to is just communication, basically. Yeah. It's just human beings being humans who <laughs> are scared to do so. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And when humans use their communication skills wisely, they will find that things will, that opportunities to enjoy your humanness you know occur more frequently than than not yeah and in the grand scheme of things it's so minimal yeah yeah absolutely i know you're you're going on an amazing trip you know you're getting some time off of work getting an opportunity to relax and enjoy a change of pace a different routine you know so that really just needs to be you know a constant reminder of especially as stress begins to build up whether with a travel companion or you know pre-trip planning or coming back as well you just have to ask yourself when are you going to be in south america or kenya or wherever again like chances are not in the recent or in the upcoming future so suck it up exactly yeah. and the other cool thing too is when you get to bring some of your trip back with you And that can help also with those post-trip blues, you know, like recipes or different teas. In fact, right now I'm drinking a tea, a butterfly pea tea that I brought back from Thailand um, over the summer. Taking a sip of the tea brings me back to, you know, the first time that I had it. And it just helps to relive those memories. And it's really great in sharing your pictures and stories with people, especially a captive audience so yes yeah. and, and and with the right people the people who aren't going to be like are you going on a trip again oh, right. <laughs> right right where are you going this time right i don't really want to hear it right yeah, yeah. <laughs> those five pictures were great that's it that's right exactly <laughs> actually that kind of reminds me of something that i've been struggling a bit with in my recent trips and i think many of us have too which is how can we 
actually live in the moment now that social media is everywhere and everyone wants to Instagram everything. And it seems to create anxiety on both sides. Like if you're on a trip, you you have this urge to capture the perfect moment and it ends up ruining the moment. But on yeah. the other hand, I've heard from so many people who get really bummed out about their own lives because they're not that smiling, happy woman in a bikini, you know, traipsing yeah. around the Bahamas. Do you have any tips for kind of dealing with this like weird divide we have going on? <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, it's funny. So just a, a, a tiny little story. I was in um, Costa Rica in March on a student trip um, that I led. And we were on a sunset catamaran snorkel cruise. And we were heading to a snorkel cruise site. And I've been to Costa Rica several times. I've brought students to Costa Rica four times. So um, I still enjoy it, equal parts of enjoying. But I, I believe I can take more pictures now and, and not feel like I'm losing out on the moment. But, um, but back to the story. So we're on this catamaran. And we're cruising to this snorkel site. And one of my students says, hey, Christy, is that a humpback whale? And I, and I couldn't see, and, and I'm one of those terrible animal trackers anyway. So I was <laughs> like, oh, there, look at that bird, and it's like two feet away from you, and I, I don't see the bird. So I was like, oh, probably, you know, uh, that would be really cool if there was a whale. But there, there, we, I've never seen a whale on this trip before. None of the Ticos who I was with um, from Costa Rica have seen whales on this tour. I was like, well, I'm, I'm not sure. Well, come to find out, it wasn't just one humpback whale. It was a whole, is it a pod of whales? Is that what they're called? I think so. There were several of them. And they were breaching. And they came really close to the boat, like where you could see the the blowhole and the water coming out of the blowhole. It was just the most amazing experience. And at that point, everyone is grabbing their phones. And my mind actually flashed back to that Ben Stiller movie. What is that with um, Sean Penn, where he, um, Walter Mitty. Oh, yeah. The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Did, have you guys seen that? No, I've, I've read the story. Yeah. Okay. Well, there is this scene where Ben Stiller meets Sean Penn for the first time. And they're in the mountains of Afghanistan and... Sean Penn spots a snow leopard, like a really rare sighting. And he has Ben Stiller take um, a look through his telescopic lens, but he's not snapping any pictures. And so Ben is like, well, why aren't you taking a picture? Because by the way, Sean Penn is a a photographer for um, National Geographic. And he's like, this one is for me. Like this moment is for me. And so my mind flashed to that scene. And then I came back and I'm like, you know what? I'm not pulling my camera out for this this moment is for me. And we got to enjoy like this amazing show of these, you know, humpback whales swimming and breaching and having a great time and all this collective excitement from my 20 students as well as some other people that were on the boat with us. So I think, you know, that there are things that when they're, when we're, when we're vacationing or even when we're just like going to the park or taking a walk, that if it's much more routine, it doesn't ruin the moment as much mm. when we decide to take time out to snap a picture to post on Instagram or Facebook or what have you. But sort of those rare moments of like just awesomeness just can't be experienced through the lens of your phone, if that makes sense. It's so true. I just went on a road trip with two of my really good friends to the Laura Ingalls Wilder Museum. (laughs) Kathy parties hard. (laughs) That's that's how we roll. Um, (laughs) 
And I was looking for a picture of her house, and I texted my friends, and I said, did, I didn't get this picture, did either of you? And they said no, and we then we all patted ourselves on the back. Yeah. Because we, yeah, like, good job, living in the moment, woo! So, via, via text, of course, so. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, and probably, if you're not alone, there are probably other people who are taking that picture that you can just get it from, you know, yeah. so if you're really worried about not being able to show, you know, your people or social media, you know, the humpback whales, for example. Well, guess what? There were 20 other people snapping a picture of that. The fact is, my pictures usually aren't that great anyway. So if I, if I want to see a humpback whale, I'm like, National Geographic does a fine job. <laughs> Here's a link. <laughs> that is such a good point, yeah, because very few of us are actually you know, good photographers where our pictures really look half of an eyeball is showing on the picture and, and things like that. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about the retreats that you organize and run. Paralavita Wellness, we, I've taken, I've organized a trip to Costa Rica, which um, will be coming up in May. And that one is, a, is based on a lot of the experiences that I've had with my students at AU, but this is um, separate. So instead of being a, a graduate social work student, you know, anybody who is interested in a mindfulness and yoga retreat can have that opportunity to come. And I teach mindfulness classes, I teach yoga, and then we go on a lot of really cool excursions. Mm-hmm. And last summer, I took a group to um, Phuket, Thailand for the first time. And that was, it was really amazing. And again, lots of, you know, traveling abroad, it's a natural place to practice mindfulness because everything is new. You're in the moment. And have you also noticed that in the beginning of a trip seems to go by a little bit slower than the end of a trip yes once you kind of catch your routine that all of a sudden it's like oh my gosh it's already Wednesday we leave in two days yeah yeah so when we're abroad I really try to emphasize and teach like to stay in the moment because what instead of kind of getting into the routine and settling and just sort of having life happen when you are um, experiencing the moment for what it is the perception of time actually slows down which is exactly what we want to have happen when we're, mm-hmm. you know, on a great trip. So it's kind of one of the techniques that we, we talk a lot about while we're abroad. It's still, the perception of time still does seem to go by faster regardless, but it does help to slow things down quite a bit. And where can people find out more info about these retreats? They can go to my website at paralavitawellness.com. That's P-E-R-L-A-V-I-T-A wellness.com. Or look, or look for me even on Facebook, too. Okay, so, and uh, are you on Twitter, any of those? I'm on Twitter um, as Kristen Brendel on Twitter. I'm on Instagram as Christy Paralavita. Great. Great. I feel calmer already. I was going to say, I feel very relaxed. <laughs> so do I. Thank you. Yeah. This is wonderful. You guys are great. Oh, oh thanks. thanks. No, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom with us. To all our listeners... If you love our episode and want to hear more, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever it is they're calling it now. Uh, You can also find us on Podbean and wherever most podcasts are found. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at XXWillTravel. Like us on Facebook and go to our website, XXWillTravel.com and subscribe to our monthly newsletter. In the meantime, go forth and travel.